Network engineers have a good grasp on how to build data center networks to support all kinds of apps from traditional three-tier designs to applications built around containers and microservices. But what about building a network fabric to support AI? Today on the Tech Bytes podcast, sponsored by Nokia, we're going to talk about the special requirements to build the data center fabric for AI use cases such as training and inference. And while Ethernet is still likely to be involved, an AI fabric has to be optimized to meet particular demands. Our guest to walk us through these requirements is Clayton Wagner, Principal Consulting Engineer at Nokia. Clayton, welcome to the show. So what makes AI so special that it has all these requirements that an Ethernet network or an Ethernet fabric uh, has to accommodate for? I think when it comes down to AI networking, we look at it with three unique things that are happening there. Number one, the protocol, right? We're using uh, not traditional TCP IP that we're used to in data center workloads, but in fact, we're using RDMA, remote memory access, which has a, a very particular set of requirements around latency and loss. The traffic patterns themselves in AI are, are very unique. And what that devolves to is a different set of tools that we use to manage those traffic flows in a data center network. Now, RDMA is usually done over UDP. Instead of talking, sharing data between machines, you're actually writing to remote memory location. So you're actually doing a direct memory access. That's what makes this type of AI processing radically different. It's not just, here's a bunch of data file, I'm moving that over there or some sort of a you know, database read. This is, I've got memory in my memory location and I need to write it in that memory location over there. That's that's a concept of how different it is. It's extremely different. And you know when we think about what a, a developer might do in order to pass data between two data center applications, uh, standard applications, they might open up a WebSocket and start to write data and TCP and UDP and the congestion control algorithms that we know and love would take care of that. RDMA, because it is, as you say, a direct memory access from one resource to another, that resource could be a GPU, it could be memory, it could be a NIC card. Um, it's just very sensitive to loss. The protocol itself was not designed to handle loss on, say, an Ethernet IP network. And that's why we see more sort of bespoke HPC interconnect technologies that are used in supercomputing and in storage. But, you know, those come with a cost. And so when we're talking about AI and where we want AI to grow... Uh, we want to bring Ethernet into the conversation because Ethernet is a, you know, don't bet against it. 50 years. It's a great <laughs> converged network. It's a it's a utilitarian. It's a Swiss army knife, right? It can do a lot of stuff. I mean, they're using InfiniBand in places, but it's not going to last. Like we've seen one company go out and use InfiniBand, but they're using that because that's what works right now. And they've already stated that they won't scale beyond a couple of thousand nodes. So, you know, Ethernet is where we're going. But I think the other unique thing about AI data processing is the idea that every node in an AI cluster has to synchronize. So when they're processing the data, you know, when you're handing the data off between the GPUs, they do a, a run through a set of data, and then every node has to then come into sync and stop. And until that synchronization is done, those nodes are sitting doing nothing. All that power, all that money is being thing. And the network has to exchange data between the nodes before the next run can start or the next part. And that's part of this parallelism, um, data synchronization. And, but there's also one more thing about AI is this difference between training models and inference. That's right. And, and really, you have to bifurcate those two in terms of requirements. They have a lot of similarities. They use, obviously, the same infrastructure, but they have uh, unique requirements, the training and inference, uh, let's call them phases of AI. Training is what we see when we talk about foundational models. These are people like uh, you know Google and OpenAI. They have names like Chad and Llama from Meta. And these are really massive models with billions and trillions of parameters, it means data points going into these models. And the GPUs chew on this doing very large uh, matrix multiplication. And you're exactly right. There's this, this idea of collective communication. So every GPU, and, and let's be clear, some startups out there are talking about having 1,000, 2,000 GPUs. Just the week that we're recording this, uh, both Microsoft and NVIDIA have uh, publicly announced that they have uh, GPU clusters that are pushing 11,000 of the very latest GPUs. We expect a year from now, 
it's pretty openly talked that we're going to be talking about data centers that have 100,000 GPUs doing training. Now, that might not be a single tenant. That might be multi-tenant. There might be you know 50 different companies that are using that. But the idea that we have all of these GPUs, which then have to communicate with one another, there's this, this collective communications idea that you, you talk about. And it means that we do a set of calculations, and then we take that data and pass it to the next GPU in the chain that's able to further refine and bring fidelity to that model. But those communications really operate, and you alluded to it, on a barrier method, right? They have to get to a point where they all get to an intermediate finish line, if you will, and then they have to start the set of calculations over. There's a high degree of dependency. So passing that data around in a training mindset means that you're passing massive flows. These things are gigantic flows. We want clear channel flows of 800 gig, 1.6 tera is, is on the horizon. Uh, in an inference, and, and, and so your bandwidth uh, sensitive there, and of course your packet loss, extremely packet loss sensitive. In the inference world, you're talking about uh, much smaller flows. This is inferences when you're using ChatGPT and you're getting uh, text back from the chatbot. That's inference. And that's really about latency because every one of those words, believe it or not, may come from a different GPU today. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so we want to make sure, and we're trying to optimize that as well, right? There's a lot of science going on in different parts trying to bring optimizations here. They're making substantial strides in reducing, in, in improving the performance of model generation and inference. Some of the best minds in the world and some of the biggest dollars in the world are trying to make progress there because really what's going to happen, we know from the internet, I've been doing this for three decades now, we know that the finance people are going to get involved somehow. Today we're building to performance, tomorrow we're going to have to build the cost. And so when you, when you think about building to cost, you think about things like reusability, how can I use this network converge for multiple applications, not just for AI. So I think you sort of just answered a question that I've had in mind. If these giant and expensive AI workloads have these requirements, why are we trying to take a networking technology that wasn't designed to be lossless and try to essentially make it lossless or fit all of these parameters? And one of those, it sounds like, is cost. We understand Ethernet. We know how it works. We have skill sets out there. Ethernet's got a killer ecosystem. A long time ago, I worked for a company called Cabletron, and the CTO of Cabletron said, Ethernet is the POTS port of the future. And it sounded so space cadet futuristic <laughs> when he said that, but here we are. Now, it might come in Wi-Fi or some other access technology, but the reality is we talk in frames today. We talk in frames and packets. And so, and so don't bet against that. Weirdly, Ethernet is actually driven by optical modules or the SFP modules that we put in switches, not by the ASIC so much all the software, it's the idea that we would have to replace those interface modules with a different signaling format would be unimaginably difficult. And underneath of that, you get down to certies, right? I mean, it, PCIe and Ethernet and uh, CXL, all of these really revolve around just certies technology. So the industry at large, if listeners have ever wondered why sometimes they see the very same numbers in terms of an NPU, how much traffic it can pass, or you know the type of interface speed on a port, it comes down to the number of lanes of certies, of course. And so it's just really trying to stitch those together. And in the AI world, we actually have practitioners who are building uh, greenfield networks. I spoke with one last month. They are literally going through, in again, greenfield, the luxury of building a network all yourself for AI. And they're going through doing link budget for every single piece, including the optics, and trying to figure out exactly how many nanoseconds and milliseconds they add. That's the type of performance that we try to get out of a large foundational AI network. The reason that we're talking about this is just to show you how divergent AI Ethernet is from Ethernet. So typical data center Ethernet is kind of high capacity, high availability, lots of short-held flows so you can load balance them across an MLAG pretty easily. Nothing gets congested. The worst that can generally happen in a modern data center is you get in-cast going to a storage array is usually what the most common problem. Whereas AI Ethernet, you can actually have in-cast problems to every node in your cluster. One of the key differentiators that you see with an AI data center network is just the bandwidth that we throw at it, right? It's It would be much more common to have less oversubscription in an AI network from the leaf all the way to the, the top spine. You might 
be looking at a fat tree instead of having some sort of oversubscription between spine layers. Really, that recognizes that not only is there that east-west traffic, but that in-cast, the problem of sending multiple senders to a single receiver could not just happen at the leaf node, but also anywhere in the spine. It's, it's very hard to predict, almost impossible to predict, the traffic flows in these collective communications. Well, everything's east-west in AI. There is no north-south, right? Because it's all between the nodes in the cluster. For sure. Unless you're loading in data. Yeah, the process itself. That's right. Yeah, yeah, but even loading in data is insignificant. I mean, the things that you're looking for here is very high density, 400 gig, 800 gig or better Ethernet speeds, even to the servers. We're not going to bother about how you get 400 gig in and out of a server, but that's the sort of thing you're talking about. The question I have for you is relating directly then to Nokia, the data center switches that you provide. Are you creating like other people a special new chipset just to do AI Ethernet, or are you able to use your existing capabilities? We're fortunate at Nokia to have a pretty robust hardware engineering program that's you know now in its third decade. We have our own silicon called FP. That's a chipset that's now in its fifth generation on the uh, sort of the mainline side. We've just introduced FPCX which is another form of that, which allows us to get some um, different types of use cases, aggregation through um, smaller platforms. And, you know, that's a services chip that allows us to offer the kind of data center services that you might need, like data center connect or SRV6 and, and these sort of things. On top of that, we have a merchant silicon program, of course, that's very robust. And we can put that in place for your data center fabric, just because the cost of freight happens to be lower there, right? And it's all about, again, those finance folks are going to come in and we really want to dial in the unit cost of not only just the, the traditional application, but to layer AI on top of that to have a truly converged network. So my understanding is that a lot of the optimizations happening for Ethernet uh, to work for an AI fabric are happening in the silicon, in the ASIC. So does the network OS bring anything to the table? Does that really matter? Or is it more about what can I do in the ASIC itself? It does. They go hand in hand. I mean, the OS has to do a lot of the you know instrumentation in addition to the control plane duties and the, and the generic things that a NOS does. In an AI context, it also would, I talked about tools to start. In an AI context, you're not just putting a fabric in place and hoping for the best. We actually have a specific set of QoS attributes that we use to manage the network. Sometimes advanced data center fabrics will use something like adaptive routing, which is, let's say, aware of the AI traffic. The RDMA traffic on IP uses a protocol called Rocky V2. And so it would understand how to multipath that Rocky traffic, just like it might understand how to multicast IP or uh, multipath uh, IP traffic. You know, in addition, because these elephant flows are so large and very short in duration. They might be shorter than a round trip. You would need to have very high fidelity instrumentation on that. So you wouldn't want to have a probe that's out there every 30 or 60 seconds. You certainly would miss it. You, you want to be careful with sampling type technologies. You really want to have the latest and greatest in streaming telemetry and the ability even to, uh, you know, as we have on SR Linux, we have the ability to, to have a development kit on top of that. So if you were a large operator and wanted to put your own application inside the NOS and tie right into the underpinnings of it, that's that's available to you. So you're saying in an AI context, that visibility, that observability, sampling isn't going to really help you. You could miss an entire flow. I think so. I think that these flows are so unpredictable and they, they, they go by in a flash. So you're, you really want to have a very precise understanding of what's happening in your network. It even goes one step farther from that because as we take these networks, these AI networks, and make them uh, largely multi-tenant, think about if you and I are using ChatGPT at the same time, uh, our inference tasks are flying through these GPUs uh, in parallel to one another. Uh, what that means in very large networks is we're going to start to do overlays, network segmentation. We're going to want to carve out certain GPUs for certain tasks. This is all a part of, again, getting to that lowest unit cost of deployment. As we do that, we're going to want to have the tools built into the NOS and the NPU, the chipset themselves, in order to provide that network segmentation, You know, the, the sort of uh, parsing that we need in order to provide um, the most performing network at the right price. I think the challenge with telemetry, observability, monitoring, visibility, those are all facets of the same problem, is that there's so much at stake with AI. If you're committing 
millions of dollars to buying GPUs and millions of dollars in developer time and millions of dollars in the, you know, the necessary servers and hardware. The thing that AI developers are complaining about quite vocally is that right now the bottleneck is in the network in their ability to move data around. And that's why AI Ethernet has such a high visibility is because that's where the current bottleneck is. The GPUs can't move data fast enough between them and the network, and particularly in breakdown situations where there's a some sort of in-cast collapse or some sort of buffer failure, or you get some sort of elephant flow that you know exhausts the available resources in a path. And you've got to be able to know that that happened. If your AI run fails and you just go, oh, well, we'll just go around and do it again. That's not acceptable, especially for public clouds who might be charging, you know, half a million dollars an hour for AI compute time sort of thing, right? So that visibility is absolutely key. And that's where things like SR Linux comes in because that's all built into the features. And then you can expose the telemetry APIs out. And having those best in class, uh, leading edge capabilities, um, the protocol wise, right, implemented means that an operator can make the move from having a more traditional infrastructure to something that allows them to see and really instrument and understand where the weaknesses are in their interconnectivity. To this point, if you talk to a developer in AI, not a network practitioner, but someone who's actually doing the machine learning, the notebooks themselves, they have an incredibly robust set of tools and frameworks that abstract the interconnect away, right? So they really don't know what's going on at the interconnect. Again, they're not opening sockets. They're not being uh, prescriptive about how these GPUs communicate. They simply have these very high-level calls. Well, what that means is that if something's wrong with the network, it's not exposed to those developers who are the most important constituent in this whole thing, right? So it's important for us as network engineers to go in and architect uh, both the resiliency model, first we start with that, and then on top of that, the availability and the interconnect model, such that these GPUs can, can talk to one another. And I'm thinking from an enterprise point of view, when you're deploying, you're probably going to deploy this in not entire data center. You're not talking about 10,000. If you're a part, you know, mega cloud provider or somebody who's specializing in a particular thing, you're going to have something, you know, it's going to be different for them. But for an enterprise, you're going to have 10, 20 racks worth of servers that are specially built for this, right? I think in this case where Nokia's advantage is, it's going to be the same switches that you might be using in your normal Ethernet, just configured into an enhanced mode to support this. That's right. Yeah. And you don't have to redo the entire fabric, right? If you have, I'm thinking of healthcare or finance, someone that might have 256 or 512 GPUs, and they have their own model that they're running for internal purposes, maybe they run that once a week. Um, you don't need to take your entire data center infrastructure and convert it over. You can just sort of up-level, upscale the portion which needs it. And then over time, as you have uh, lifecycle upgrades in other parts of the network, certainly we see that these capabilities will make their way into the larger feature set for data center fabrics going forward. Look, we, we expect a new type of compute here. AI is really showing us a new type of compute that is memory-centric and not CPU-centric. And so I think you'll see the usage of things like DMA technologies grow in other use cases throughout, not just the web scalers, but enterprise and utilities and all the other market segments that we serve. And so having those capabilities in the network will be of importance uh, as you have the opportunity to put them in over generations. I would say that there's uh, a need in the industry to quantize down the solution set. We've had a lot of folks in the, in the higher ed world. We've had a lot of folks in web scale do a lot of great research. But now we're at the point where these things are growing like crazy. We've got to actually just have a smaller number of approaches. So you've got some some folks who are talking about scheduled fabrics. You have people who are studying the QoS models underneath. You have folks who are talking about incorporating smart NICs and DPUs and using admission control. There's going to be several ways 
to deploy these networks. You know, as an industry, we're coming together. There's, of course, the Ultra Ethernet Consortium is a group of folks who are trying to come together and, and provide some best practices as well as potentially new standards around this. And so I think the next 12 months are going to be more action here in Ethernet development in the next 12 months than perhaps there has been in a long time. Yeah, you mentioned the Ultra Ethernet Consortium. That's a new body looking to build some commonality and maybe even some standards around these optimizations of Ethernet for AI. Is Nokia participating? As we record this, we have just agreed to join the consortium. We're very much looking forward to bringing our unique expertise to that group. Of course, not only do we have a lot of strengths in web scale and enterprise, but we're known for our uh, service provider business. And so we we expect to be able to add uh, and, and contribute uh, to the group. And we look forward to getting together with those folks. Well, I think we could probably talk about this a lot more, and I would like to talk about it a lot more, but we are at the end of our time for today. If folks want to get more details on what Nokia is up to uh, in the AI Ethernet space, they can check out the Enterprise Cloud Networks site over at Nokia.com, and we'll have that link in the show notes that accompany this podcast. Thank you, Clayton, for joining us, and thanks to Nokia for being a sponsor. And as always, thank you, the listener, for being with us. You can find this and many more fine, free technical podcasts and our community blog at packetpushers.net. You can join us on our Packet Pushers Slack. Uh, you can hear us on Spotify, and if you would, leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.